الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Beloved brothers, sisters and elders in Islam Aisha رضي عنها the beloved wife of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him tells us كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصوم حتى نقوله لا يفتر ويفتر حتى نقول لا يصوم The Prophet ﷺ when it came to nafal fasting he sometimes used to fast so frequently that we believed he would never eat during the day again and then sometimes he used to so regularly abstain from the nafal fasting we started thinking he would never engage in nafal fasting ever again وما رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم استكمل صيام شهر قط and we never saw the Prophet الإسلام fasting an entire month إلا شهر رمضان except for the month of Ramadan so the only month that the Prophet الإسلام would fast in its entirety would be the month of Ramadan but then Aisha says وما رأيت في شهر أكثر صياما منه في شعبان and there was no month besides Ramadan now in which I saw him fasting more than during the month of Sha'ban. And this hadith is narrated in Sahih Muslim, hadith 1969. Usama ibn Zayd, another Sahabi, approaches the Prophet and says, Ya Rasulullah, Lam araka tasumu min shahrin min ashuhuri ma tasumu min Sha'bana. We have never seen you fasting a month equal to how you fast the month of Sha'ban. Qala the Prophet said, Thaka shahrun, that there is a month, yaghfalun nasu anhu, that the people are unmindful of. Bayna rajaba wa Sha'ban, sorry, bayna rajaba wa Ramadan, it falls between Rajab and Ramadan, wa huwa shahrun, it is a month, turfa'u fihi al-a'malu, in which once, actions are raised up to Allah ila Rabbil Alameen to the Lord and Creator of all that exists wa uhibbu and I desire ayyurfa'a amali while my reward or my actions are lifted wa ana sa'im while I am fasting the hadith has been declared hasan by the ulama of acceptable authenticity the point here being that we are now in this month this month that is only Sha'ban. This month that the Prophet is telling us that people are unmindful of. We are all very mindful of Ramadan. The, that month, we are on the verge of its doorstep. And somehow in our nafs already, there, there's something growing towards that month. But the reality is that a true and proper entrance into the month of Ramadan is actually via Sha'ban. In fact, there could even be an argument that it should have started during the month of Rajab. The scholar Abu Bakr al-Balkhi, may Allah be pleased with him, he used to say, Rajab is the month to sow the seeds. Sha'ban is the month to irrigate the crop. And Ramadan is the month to reap the harvest. Rajab is the month to sow the seeds. Sha'ban is the month to irrigate, to water the crop. And Ramadan is the month to reap the harvest. 
He said it in a different way. Rajab is like the wind. And Sha'ban is like the water-laden clouds. And Ramadan is like the rain. Without the wind, without the water-laden clouds, there cannot be any rain. So my topic today, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, is preparing for the month of Ramadan. Preparing for the month of Ramadan via Rajab, and since that has passed now already, via the month of Sha'ban. What could be done? Now first and foremost, why should one prepare for the month of Ramadan? Isn't it enough that when the month of Ramadan comes around, I do my utmost best? That's actually the problem. Who says you're going to be doing your best if you don't prepare for it? Your best is actually when you prepare. And it is part and parcel of the Sunnah of our beloved Prophet, peace be upon him, that he would prepare for acts of worship as we've seen him preparing for Ramadan via the fasting of the month of Sha'ban. Also, in preparing for the month of Ramadan, we are showing our eagerness to Allah. We are showing Allah that I can hardly wait to Allah. I can hardly wait for this month. Let me do some things and get ready. You're not here, month of Ramadan, you're not here yet. But already, everything is right, is, is right for you. Everything is prepared for you. Do you wait until the guest knocks on your door and then you start preparing his room? Start vacuuming or what? Or does the guest come and everything is prepared already? Also, my dear brothers, Ramadan is a rare opportunity. And the reality is that if you don't ready yourself for a rare opportunity, you're not going to make maximum benefit of the opportunity when it comes around. Just to give you a quick example. If I had a supermarket close to you and I told you, I give you 10 minutes to take everything that you want. In as many trolleys as you want. But it's going to happen after a month. Then what are you going to do? For the whole month leading up to that, you're going to do nothing. And the day, that special day, you're going to come just walking up nonchalantly and fill the trolley. No. I can guarantee you for the month leading up to it, we're going to see you running down the street with trolleys. You're going to be busy with trolley exercises and throwing things in trolleys. And you're going to come and visit my shop beforehand, and you're going to get a lay of the land. And then you're going to tick it off. Right. So the day I give you the 10 minutes, you're going to go directly. Zone A, zone B, zone C. Boom. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hit him hard. Allah knows best. So Ramadan also got zones. Zone A, zone B, zone C. Last 10 days of Ramadan, ultimate zone. Hit it hard. You understand? So why is that not happening? Same thing. World Cup. The Soka brothers. Are the Soka brothers preparing or not preparing? If Muslim, if you come to his house, he probably got extra two liters cokes. And if non-Muslim, Osvitmos. Osvitmos, right by way up. The non-Muslim. Muslims got coke stomachs. And him? Osvitmos. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you, preparation. All the shops, all the shops, at the end of the year, that's when they make the bulk profit, isn't it? So if it is a takeaway shop, does he wait until the season comes and then he orders all the cokes and all the extra sausage? No. Go and go now to all the Islamic shops. You'll see them making soaps, ordering kufiyas. Because why? Ramadan is on the way. 
So I prepare for Ramadan, but I prepare for muchos machos. What are you preparing for Ramadan? Are you preparing in the relation to Allah? This is the question that needs to be asked. So with regards to the first, preparation being part and parcel of the sunnah of the Prophet of Allah, peace be upon him. Aisha Radlana, the wife of the Prophet of Allah, tells us then the Prophet of Islam used to open his tahajjud prayers with two quick rakaas of nafal salah. Two quick rakaas of nafal salah, not lengthy. And we know the Prophet of Islam was that man, when he made tahajjud, it was nothing for him to recite the whole of Surah Baqarah in one rakaah. The whole of Surah Baqarah, which spans something like three Jews, the whole of Surah Baqarah he would recite in one rakaah. But before he did that, he quickly did two short rakaahs. But this is short rakahs for warm-up. And that's to warm-up rakahs, to get him in the mood for the solid push-ups that's coming. You understand? The solid ibada push-ups. But first the Prophet did two warm-ups with stretches to the rakahs. Now he's ready for the more serious ibada. So it is for this reason that scholars such as Imam Nawi rahimahullah, in their commentaries on this hadith, state that this was done to prepare the mind and the body for what lay ahead. If we compare this to physical training, it will be the warm-up activities to the actual exercises. And regarding the month of Ramadan, we find Aisha Radlanda saying, and I've just read that hadith to you, I've never seen the Messenger of Allah fast a complete month other than Ramadan, and I've never seen him fast any nafal more than during the month of Sha'ban. So for the Prophet Islam, that was a preparation period for the month of Ramadan. Now if you're a man that doesn't regularly fast, or a woman, you don't have regular fasting, like regular Monday, regular Thursday, regular middle of the month, etc. When the first half of the month of Sha'ban ends, it becomes more cruel for you to fast after that. Why? Because your body and your iman is not on that level that if you fast just before Ramadan and then Ramadan enters, that you will be able to handle it. But if you are a person that has that habit, then it is recommended for you to continue even in the second half of Sha'ban. Because that is your habit, and you will be able to maintain your habit in the whole of the month of Ramadan. But we're not in that last 15 yet. You understand? You still have a period now where you can still do some nafal, and when the 15th comes, and then you can relax and regain the energy of your body that is required, ready for the month of Ramadan. Also with regards to eagerness. Preparation shows that you are eagerness. You are eager to worship Allah. Consider Surah Tawbah, verse 46. Allah says, وَلَوْ أَرَادُوا الْخُرُوجَ لَعَدُّوا لَهُ عُدَّهُ Had they really wanted to come out in the path of Allah, had they really wanted to perform jihad as they should, they would have prepared something for it. They would have prepared something for it. وَلَكِنْ كَرِيَ اللَّهُمْ بِعَاثَهُمْ But Allah disliked to bring them out. Allah didn't want them to come out. That's why they didn't prepare, and that is why in the end they didn't come out also. Waqila, and it was said to them, Uk'udu ma'al qa'idin. Sat, where the others that sat. Don't rise to the occasion. When Allah calls unto you, don't rise to the occasion. But if somebody prepares beforehand, then he's showing Allah, Allah is eager, he's eager. Oh Allah, I'm far from me. He's ready. And Allah knows best. So, if for some reason or other an individual was prepared to fast, is prevented from fasting during the month of Ramadan. And this happens every year, my dear brother and sister in Islam. Just as we are moving up to Ramadan, we find people passing away. There were musallis in this mosque. 
They had certain strategic locations. Somebody sitting over there in a chair. Somebody over there. And net for Ramadan, Lazia, boom, Maningal Daibuta. Boom, Maningal Daibuta. But if you were preparing for the month of Ramadan, even if you didn't reach the month of Ramadan, then surely you will still get the reward of that Ramadan. Because this is the sunnah of Allah. Somebody that is eager to perform his worship and is regularly preparing for his worship, Allah gives that reward equal to the one that had actually done it. Just to give you a hadith, something for you to think about. Abu Musa al-Ashari, may Allah be pleased with him. He reports that the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, said, when the servant of Allah is sick or travels, he still receives the reward for actions he normally does when healthy and a resident. When the servant of Allah is sick or he travels, he still receives the reward for actions he normally does when healthy and a resident. The hadith comes in Bukhari, hadith 2996. So if I'm a lady, I suffer haid every month. But in my non-haid days, I'm a regular with my five times daily. And I'm eager to perform salah. So during that portion of the month, my six, seven or eight days or so, that I am in a state of haid, you really think Allah is not rewarding me? While I'm eager to make that salah, the only reason I'm not making that salah is because the Prophet of Allah had taught me that when I'm in a state of haid, I mustn't make salah. So I'm obedient to the message of Allah. But had I not been in a state of haid, I would be fasting it and I would be making that particular salah. So surely Allah rewards you as if you had done it. And Allah knows best. But regards to Ramadan being a rare opportunity, now here we are reminded that Ramadan only comes once a year. And this opportunity, if you don't fail to use this opportunity as you should, then surely you are unsuccessful. Surely you are unsuccessful. When Ramadan comes, you should have earned by the end of Ramadan the pleasure of Allah. You should have earned by the end of Ramadan entry into Jannah. But if you didn't, then surely you are a loser. And this is why the Prophet of Allah, he told the Sahaba, or rather the story went as follows, that Sa'id Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama al-minbara. One day the Prophet of Allah climbed this minbar. When he had gone up one step, Qala, the Prophet said, Amin. May it be so. Then he climbed another step. Fakala, and he said, Amin, may it be so. Then and then he climbed the third step and he said, Amin, may it be so. And then the Prophet turned to the congregation and he told them, Atani Jibril. The Archangel Jibril just came to me. And he made three du'as. He made three du'as. And for every du'a that he made, I said, Amin. So who came and made the du'a? The best of all angels. Of all those beings that commit no sins, of all those beings that are constantly in the worship of Allah and totally obedient to Allah, the greatest of them, An-Namus, the carrier of secrets to all the Anbiya and the Rusul, Jibreel alayhi salam, he made a dua. Then who said yes to that dua? Khayrul Bariya, the best of all creation. There is no person before him better than him and there is no person after him better than him. Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. That one made the dua, this one said yes to that dua. Do you think Allah will not accept such a dua? 
Or do you think that definitely that dua is mustajab? Definitely that dua is accepted by Allah. So what is the dua? So the dua is, Ya Muhammad, O oh Muhammad, Man adraka Ramadana falam yughfar lahu, whosoever is successful in getting the month of Ramadan, but unsuccessful in gaining the forgiveness and mercy of Allah, fa'ab'adahullah. Let Allah cast him aside. Let Allah distance him from his mercy. Fa'qultu. So I, Muhammad, I said, Amin. May it be so. If you are given such an opportunity, such a month, a month in which your rewards are doubled and tripled and etc. A month in which Allah is eager to forgive you. A month in which the doors of paradise are cast wide open and the doors of Jahannam are locked. A month in which Maradatu Shayateen, the senior devils are locked up and only minor little devils run around, including your own devilish nafs. Such a month, if you are not able to gain piety in such a month, if you are not able to gain the pleasure of Allah in such a month, if you are not able to gain entrance into paradise in such a month, then surely you are unsuccessful. You are never going to be able to learn. You are somebody that is on Turk. You are a methamphetamine addict. And you just went to the rehab center. And while at the rehab center, there you were using Turk. So how are you going to survive elsewhere? If you can't survive in the rehab center, where are you going to survive? And at the end of the day, that is what Ramadan is all about. Ramadan is that period of the year when we are in rehab. Ramadan is that period of the year when we are given that shield against Jahannam. Right? So anything that is approaching me that wants to take me to Jahannam, I just pull out my some shield. Some shield. Satan, get thee behind me. Though I walk through the valley of death, I shall not feel fear. How come I call the Bible? It's the same type of an idea. You understand? And Allah knows best. So that opportunity is given to you. And this is why we have in the English, English language, we have the saying, he who fails to prepare, prepares to fail. He who fails to prepare, prepares to fail. In the context, it means that if you do not seize the opportunity that Ramadan represents, then it means, unfortunately, we have, we, 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 uh, rather, if, we do, if you are not prepared to seize the opportunity that Ramadan represents, then unfortunately we will not be able to seize it when it comes around. The question, however, is how do I prepare for the month of Ramadan? Besides this thing, that I could be fasting some days of nafal during Sha'ban, how do I prepare for the month of Ramadan? So there are four things I want you to think of or on, and use what you are able to use, leave what you are not able to, Use what is convenient to you, inshallah, and what you can easily do. And what might be difficult for you this Ramadan, at least make a niyyah next Ramadan, inshallah. I'm going to include it in, as part and parcel of my method to prepare for Ramadan. So the first thing to do is, now, at this moment in time, intend a month of Ramadan that is free of sin. Tell yourself now, this Ramadan is not going to be like last Ramadan. There were still some things I did last Ramadan that I shouldn't have done. But this Ramadan, inshallah, this Ramadan, I'm not going to make those mistakes. And this Ramadan, my entire Ramadan is going to be occupied in ibadat. Then what you need to do is you need to start to make that a reality. By at this moment in time, starting to make effort to abstain from sin, and at this moment in time, starting to make effort in the doing of good deeds. Don't wait for Ramadan to come around 
to start reciting the Quran. Recite little bit today. If you haven't recited the Quran for a long time, recite three verses after every fard salah. Three verses. How difficult is that? How much time is it going to take? Insha'Allah. Then every day as it passes, just add another verse. Add another verse. Add another verse. Until when it is the month of Ramadan, build up the sunnah. Build up that. I don't mean sunnah of the Prophet, but build up the habit that you recite a quarter juz after every fard salah. And if you recite a quarter juz after every fard salah, you will finish a juz in a quarter every day, which means that you are going to be completing the khatam of the Quran at around day 24, day 25. So there's even gap for going to visit mama or papa or whoever. You know, we tend to like to go book out on a Saturday evening or whatever the story is. So there's a gap of a five or a four days where perhaps if, if the recital is not up to standard, you'll still be able to make khatam of the Quran in great convenience, insha'Allah. So a simple method, a simple method, insha'Allah. Right? Another thing that you could do building up towards the month of Ramadan is to study the virtues of fasting. What Allah is prepared to give you if you fast. And the virtues of the month of Ramadan in particular. And then immediately to start making dua, oh Allah, give me the honor of reaching that month that is Ramadan. Give me Ramadan this year, oh Allah. Give me the opportunity to show you, oh Allah, what I'm really worth. Because that was the way of the Sahaba, that was their attitude. He would rush into the marching army that faces, and he would, he would say in his nafs, he would say, Fadakh waisik fa Allah, but ikka kan mark. Fadakh waisik fa Allah. Today I'm going to show Allah what I am worth. And Allah knows best. Number two, study the laws pertaining to fasting, the laws pertaining to i'tikaf, the laws pertaining to salatul taraweeh, the laws pertaining to zakatul fitr. It is a law in fiqh that if you are occupied in an activity, then you must know the laws that pertain to it. If you don't know the laws of an activity that you're occupied in, then it's going to lead to problems. A common thing here in Cape Town, many of us are married. We don't know the laws of marriage. We don't know the laws of talaq. We don't know the laws of marriage. We don't know the laws of talaq. When I talk around the mufti of MJC says, it is actually more important to know the laws of talaq than what it is to know the laws of nikah when you get married. Because there are many people out there, they have talaq their wives more than a thousand times. And they are still living together. Here in Cape Town, it is a sad reality that even amongst the so-called ulama are people that have divorced their wives more than thrice. And they are still living together. And after you have divorced your wife thrice, then that talaq is ba'in. And it's ba'inuna kubra. It is a major break. You are not allowed to go back to that lady. It is impossible for that marriage to be fixed. That marriage has been permanently broken. So how do people still get it right? How do people still get it right? A, a lady comes to me one day complaining about her husband. So our approach always as marriage counselors is, is there no angle? Is there no way? Maybe you're going to regret this. So is there no way that we can reconcile, that we can make up? No, Molina. It is impossible, Molina. And in uh, saying it is impossible, she slips out. Molina has already divorced me more than a hundred times. Except what? More than a hundred times. I ask him, is it true what he's saying? I say, yes, Molina. I say, well, if it's true, then you don't need to come to me for whatever reason, looking for talaq, looking for fasakh, looking for what? The marriage has been terminated. 
And the marriage has been so terminated, it cannot be fixed. Then that same lady lowers her head two, three seconds, then she looks up. Just before this, you said, never, ever. You understand? You put emphasis upon emphasis. Never is an emphasis in ever. It's an emphasis of never. And then it didn't even last three seconds. You understand? And still, I can't When that happened. Now I'm also confused. Whoa, what's that? I never heard of such a thing in my whole life. I know they smoke it, but I didn't know they eat it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. If you do something where you become drunk, then in Islamic law, whatever you do in the drunken state, you are still accountable for Allah. So if a man drinks hammer and then he's drunk, and while he's drunk, he says to his wife, I talaq you, that talaq counts. Because you have transgressed the law of Allah and becoming drunk. So whatever you do when you are in a drunken state, it still counts against you. But if you've got a legal reason for being intoxicated, like for example, they put you under for an operation, and for some reason or the other, you got up and started walking around. And while you walked around, you committed a few crimes, but it was surely unintentional due to the state that you are in, then yes, you will be overlooked in the sense of whether it's a sin or not a sin. And Allah knows best, the point, however, coming back to the issue, is that we need to know that which we are involved in. If you are a businessman, you are buying and selling things, or you are hiring things, then you must know the laws of Islamic business. It is not lawful for you to be engaged in business if you do not know the laws of business. There are a whole lot of laws here in Cape Town that people believe to be the laws of Islam, but it has absolutely nothing to do with Islam. Like a common law in Cape Town, you can't make profit more than 100%. Where did you get that? Which ayah is that in the Quran? Which hadith is that? There is no such law. And just imagine this. If somebody gives me a gift, then that means I can't sell it. Because even if I sell it for five cents, it's more than 100% profit. And there are actually people like that in Cape Town. If somebody gave you a gift, you can't sell it. So they actually created one innovated law, and then they created innovated law number two, based upon the first innovated law, and that's the, the nature of Bida. Bida grows. You understand? Bida just becomes more and more and more as time progresses. So it is necessary. Return to the Sunnah. Learn your deen properly. And anything that you get involved in, make sure that you know the laws. So we are walking up to Ramadan. Do you really know what fasting is? Do you really know what the laws of fasting are? What constitutes a proper fast? What does not constitute a proper fast? What breaks the fast? What maintains the fast? And Allah knows best. Number three, free your schedule in this month of Ramadan from every dunya activity, but the most essential of activities. And devote the remainder to acts of worship, such as the recitation of Quran and Sadaqah. So how do you do this? How do you do this? So there's two types of activities this Ramadan. Some type of dunya activities that you do throughout the year. All the other 11 months of the year you do it, and you're going to have to do it during the 12 months as well. But some of it you are able to bring forward, like shopping. I go shopping in January, February, March, April, etc. So during the month of Ramadan, must I shopping? The answer is, if I didn't prepare for it, I'm going to have to go shopping. So what if we did this, uh, this Ramadan? Since it's Sha'ban now, 
I do all my Ramadan shopping now. So come Ramadan, I do no shopping. So I can devote myself to Tilawa, I can devote myself to Taraweeh, I can devote myself to Zikr. Then there are some dunya activities that in our homes have become necessary due to Ramadan. The other one is just due to normal living. This one is due to Ramadan. Like for example, our wives like that our houses be painted just before Labaran. So when do the men tend to paint it? They let Qadr night. Night that is khayrum in alfi shahar. A night that is better than a thousand months. If I make two rakats now, it's two times a thousand months. And then what am I doing? Raka'a paint. Because ampa labaram. You understand? So why don't we do that now? Now in Sha'ban. Now in Sha'ban. Why don't we paint the house now? I want to be a good husband. <coughs> I want my wife to like me. And I want Allah to be pleased with me. So why don't we do it now? During the month of Sha'ban, inshallah. Then during the month of Ramadan, it is not needed. Then lastly, inshallah, prepare a plan of action during the month of Ramadan. <coughs> In fact, <coughs> I just forgot something. In one of the books on what is known as life management in our time, they say it is necessary that you need to know the power of triple D. The power of triple D. Now what is the power of triple D? D number one, don't do it. Look at your schedule and see which things you don't absolutely need to do and just drop it from the schedule. Don't waste your time with that because it is technically a waste of time activities. So D number one, power of D number one, don't do it. D number two, delegate. This is not a thing that I can drop. It has to be done, but it doesn't need to be done by me. So delegate, get somebody else to do it. Then the power of D number three, it's an important thing, and I have to do it. So yes, do it. Right? So there's three Ds. The D that is awla and afdal, the best D, is don't do it. If it doesn't need to be done, don't do it. The second D, delegate. Get somebody else to do it. My name is Bill Gates. I make a million rand or dollars per second. Okay, let's not be too excessive. Let's say it's per minute. Used to be. Million dollars per minute. Now my wife wants me to paint for La Barang. Does that make sense? I'm a guy that makes a million rain per minute. But then I must go do something that at the end of the day you're going to get sicker fifty dollars for painting. Right? For how many hours? Four or five hours. You get fifty dollars. But I make a million per minute. So does it make sense that I have to be the guy to do it? What does my wife want? Does she want me to paint or does she want the wall painted? So there, there's an example of a farkifaya, a communal obligation. In a farkifaya, Allah is not interested in the doer. Allah is interested in the ik. So when somebody dies, Allah wants the dead man washed. Allah wants the dead man shrouded. Allah wants salah to be made on the dead man. And Allah wants the dead man to be buried. Allah is not really interested in the one who does it. Whosoever does it, yes, you're going to get a special reward. But Allah is not really interested in the doer. Allah is interested in the act. And then we get a fart'ain, a personal obligation. Like your five times daily salah. 
Ya, Allah is not so interested in the act. Allah is interested in the doer. I can't very well tell my son, Tamim, just make fajr for me when I'm feeling a bit tired today. It is not that Allah wants fajr made. It is that Allah wants me to make fajr. You understand? So I have to personally do it. So that's the idea over there. If it is a thing that needs to be done, but it doesn't necessarily need to be done by you, if it's a dunya thing, then delegate. Give it away. Let somebody else do it. Only do what is essential to your maqsat in life. That which fulfills your aims in life. Only do that. Do not get involved in trivialities. You know how many brothers here are trying to fix their own cars. And it turns out to be a mechanic. <laughs> not a mechanic, a mechanic. Now the mechanic got a double job. He must first fix what you broke. And then he must fix what was the problem with the car. So I don't need to send the car to him in the first place, man. You understand? You're actually going to save money, you're going to save time, and no grease on your hands also. We live in a world in which there is a third level, a third level of development. By the kufar, there are only two levels. Level number one, you are dependent on others. You can't survive on your own. Level number two, you become independent. By the kufar, by the disbelievers, this is the maximum level. The level of independence. So the moment I'm independent, I leave my mother, I leave my father, I go on my own. I need to have my own flat because there's a lot of zina that needs to be done and a whole lot of other things. And as for my mother and father, they need yab. They're on that level where they need yab to go to the toilet or they're wearing nappies. I've got no time for them. They taught me to be independent, so they need to be independent with the nappies. And they need to be independent with the toilet because i got things to do, dunya stuff. But as Muslims, it doesn't end there. There's a third level. And that level is the level of interdependence. And that is the age that we live in. We live in an age of interdependence. Maybe that man over there is a carpenter. And that man over there is a plumber. And in his field where he's the master, he does it. And in the field where he's not the master, he seeks the, 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 the assistance of the plumber. While that plumber needs a cupboard, so he seeks his assistance. So we are technically interdependent, codependent. Don't we find this in hadith? Didn't the Prophet of Allah say that the Muslims are like a building? Every part of the building supports every other part. So what is the Prophet of Allah calling towards? He's calling towards interdependence. You are a corner brick, and you are an arch brick, and you are a normal brick, and that one is a whatever type of a brick. So we put all of those bricks together, then each one helps one another. Why is plywood sometimes more powerful than natural wood? What's the difference? You get one piece of wood that's very hard, but it's brittle. If you apply too much pressure, pressure that will, that will cause it to bend, it will break. So it's strong, but it is brittle. Then you get another piece of wood, it's soft. It's easy to bend. But when it does bend, it doesn't break. Then you know what magically happens when you put the two of them together? When you place the two of them together, then in the first place, it doesn't bend easily because of the other wood. And when it does bend, the other wood doesn't break because the other wood that's the softer one causes the brittle one now to suddenly have the ability to bend. And this is why Allah wants us to work together. And this is why Allah created men and Allah created women. Because the one is one martial arts, Taekwondo. And the other one is another martial arts, ninjutsu. 
And instead of having ninjutsu fight Taekwondo, Allah wants the two martial arts to join. And Allah wants to take away the negatives, the cons of ninjutsu, and only the pros. And Allah wants to take away the cons of Taekwondo, and only the pros. And Allah wants us to put it together and create Taenjutsu. But instead of men and women working together, instead of men and women working together, they've decided to make war. And Allah knows best. That's why maybe we should go back to the hippie age. But in accordance with Islam, let's make love, not war. <laughs> but in, in accordance with the teachings of Islam. In accordance with the teachings of Islam. And Allah knows best. My dear brothers, this is the essence of the Jumu'ah today. The idea is that we are on the doorstep of the greatest month of the year. We are on the doorstep of the greatest opportunity that ever comes around. And we need to prepare for this month. Number one, even if we don't reach the month, if we are prepared for this month, then we have shown Allah that we are eager. And Allah in His infinite mercy and His infinite generosity, surely Allah will reward you that full month of fasting, even if you do not live to that month, simply for the sake that you have been preparing for it and you have showed Allah that you are eager. Then also, we are followers of that man, Muhammad, Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is to us an, an uswa hasana, a model example. It was his example to prepare for ibadat. Not jumping right into the ibadah, but to have some sort of a warm-up activity. A warm-up activity that, that causes that particular ibadah to be easy. And one of the ways he did this with regards to the month of Ramadan is that he did some nafal fasting during the month of Sha'ban. So the Sha'ban period was a warm-up for that, uh, insha'Allah. Then also, as I, I've given numerous examples, if you want to fully maximize the potential that Ramadan presents, then you need to, in this moment, at this moment in time, prior to Ramadan, work out a schedule for you during the month of Ramadan. This is what I'm going to be doing from uh, Isha until Fajr. And this is what I'm going to be doing from Fajr until Dhuhr. And that's what I'm going to be doing from Dhuhr until Asr. And that's what I'm going to be doing from Asr until Maghrib. And that's what I'm going to be doing from, uh, from Maghrib until Isha. Then make a list also of activities that you find that your nafs is weak to. That you can focus on this Ramadan. And you can use the shield of Ramadan to help you at least during the month of Ramadan. And give you the impetus that inshallah this will be the last Ramadan that you are doing this action. You will not do it following the, uh, the month of Ramadan. You will not do it for the rest of the, of the year. Many people will suffer the addiction of smoking. And here you need to understand that most ulama consider smoking to be haram. And there is enough sufficient medical evidence to indicate that smoking is haram. Some people are clever. When I say to them that smoking is haram, they say, Molana, but they eat varma keri, or it keri varam. They say, Atabuta. Now, I've grown tired of this argument. Trying to prove that smoking is haram using the evidence of sharia. These days, I got a simpler argument. My argument is this. Don't ask yourself whether you have convinced me. Ask yourself whether you've convinced yourself with that answer. In fact, let's take it at a higher level. Tell yourself you are standing in front of Allah now, and you are telling Allah what you just told me. Allah is going to ask you in the day of Qiyamah, why did you smoke? Then you're going to say, That's why I smoked. So ask yourself whether that argument is going to work on the day of Qiyamah, if it's going to work with Allah. You understand? I don't think so. So let's not pull, pull, pull that argument. But anyway, the point I wanted to make is this.
Many of our brothers and sisters suffer with this problem of smoking. And then, when were they able to stop? During the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan is a miracle period. A thing that you normally are not able to stop doing. What happens when you wake up and you're a smoker? The first thing you want to do is, isn't it? When you go to sleep at night also, the first thing you want to do is, so on the right, In fact, even our acts of intimacy with our spouses is not without the hoo. The moment the act of intimacy is finished, then instead of dua, hoo. Cigarette goes worse. You understand? Allah knows best. But during the month of Ramadan, Allah gives you that extra rohani, spiritual energy, and you are able to leave that thing. So let us make use of the month of Ramadan to cast aside those negative aspects of our personalities. And if you think you are a perfect person, hey, then we've got a bigger problem. <laughs> Understand? Please speak to your wife. Please have a lekamasura with your children and just ask them, how can I improve myself? And for a moment, just put the kibber aside and work this Ramadan on what your wife tells you and work this Ramadan on what your children tells you Speak to your parents, ask them, Abi, what the qualities is Abi, but they can they can do Ramadan. So take their counsel, inshallah. Do we have the believers? Wa amruhum shura baynahum. Do we have the believers? Is that they take one another's counsel? And Allah knows best. We conclude there. We continue next week, inshallah.